Chapter Four of Insect Stories. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Insect Stories by Vernon Kellogg. Chapter Four The True Story of the Pit of Morrowby Jukes. It seemed that someone was calling to me in a whisper. Sahib, Sahib, Sahib. Exactly as my bearer used to call me in the mornings. I fancied that I was delirious, until a handful of sand fell at my feet. Then I looked up and saw a head peering down into the amphitheater. The head of Dunu, my dog boy, who attended to my collies. As soon as he had attracted my attention, he held up his hand and showed a rope. I motioned, staggering to and fro the while, that he should throw it down. It was a couple of leather punka ropes, knotted together with a loop at one end. I slipped the loop over my head and under my arms, heard Danu urge something forward, was conscious that I was being dragged face downward up the steep sand slope, and the next instant found myself choked and half fainting on the sand hills overlooking the crater. And then Mary broke in. We were lying in a sunny, warm spot, in an open hillside, a little way off the road, and I was reading aloud from a favorite author. That is a fairy story, said Mary, and I thought we were not going to read any more fairy stories now that I am grown up. Mary's idea of being grown up is to be more than three feet eleven inches high, and to have her hair no longer in two braids. Not exactly a fairy story, I replied, for Kipling rather prefers soldiers to fairies and machines to caps of invisibility. Of course, though, he wrote the Mole stories. But those are not fairy stories, interrupted Mary. Those were about a real boy and real animals, only a long way off and different from ours. Ah, uh, hmm, real? Well, perhaps, anyway, the moly animals seem more real than most real animals. But this story of the sand pit and the man sliding down into it and not being able to get out isn't impossible at all. Only the other people down in the bottom seem a little unusual. No, there can't be any such place, said Mary positively. And as there can't be any such place, nobody could have slid into it or been in the bottom and so it is a fairy story. Any story that isn't so is a fairy story. Well, that makes it easy to tell a fairy story from the other kinds, and I never knew exactly how before. But I once saw a place much like the sandpit that Morrowby Jukes slid into, or that Kipling says he slid into. It's on the side of a great mountain in Oregon. Mount Hood, its name is. I had climbed far above Timberline, that is above where all the trees and bushes stop because it is too cold for them to live and there is only bare rocks and snow and ice and had sat down to rest near a great snowbank a mile long as i looked back down the mountain i saw a curious yellowish smoke rising in little puffs and curls i decided to find out about this smoke on my way down perhaps it was the beginning of forest fire and ought to be put out well when i got to it there was no fire. The puffs and curls were not smoke. 
It was a real Morrowby Jukes pit, a great crater-like hole in the mountain, with its sides so steep that the loose volcanic sand and rocks, for the whole mountain is an old volcano, kept slipping down in little avalanches from which puffs and curls of fine yellow dust kept rising and drifting lazily away. If I had made the mistake of going too close to the edge, I should certainly have started one of these avalanches and gone slipping and sliding faster and faster to the very bottom a thousand feet below. My, said Mary, and were there horrible people in the bottom and crows? Well, really, Mary, I couldn't see on account of the dust smoke. Of course there weren't, probably, said Mary thoughtfully and a little wistfully. Perhaps not, I had to reply regretfully, but a bright thought came to me. I remembered something. Several days before, I had tramped along this hillside road near where Mary and I were lying, and I had seen, well, just wait. So I said to Mary, but I know where there is a Morrowby Chooks pit, several of them, indeed, near here. Shan't we go and see them? Why, of course, said Mary, rather severely. Let us go galloping as Morrowby Jukes did, said I, and so we took hold of hands, and as soon as we got out of the chaparral, we went galloping, hop, hop, hoppity, hop, down the road. I must confess that I got out of breath pretty soon, and my knees seemed to creak a little, and when a swift motor-car came exploding by, going up the hill, all the people stared and smiled to see an elderly gentleman with spectacles and a long coat hop-hopping along with a yellow-haired red-cheeked little girl in knee-skirts but we don't mind people much they simply don't know all the things that go with being happy pretty soon and it was high time for i had only three breaths left we came to a place where the road bent sharply around the hillside and was especially broad now mary i said be careful and don't fall in i'm afraid i could not get you out fall in where get me out of what asked mary quite puzzled she was staring about excitedly looking most of the time down into the canyon with its spiry redwood trees pushing far up from the bottom and then suddenly she saw she flopped down on her hands and knees in the warm sand by the roadside and cried out what funny little holes why mary i said with pained surprise you don't really mean to call these awful Morrowby Jukes pits funny little holes. That isn't fair. After all, we've done to find them, especially after my galloping all the way right to the very edge of this largest one. As I spoke, I pointed it out with the toe of my shoe, but inadvertently filled it all up by poking a couple of tablespoons of sand and dust into it. But size is quite a relative matter, and for the tiny creatures, with whom Mary and I have to deal, the little crater-like holes in the sand of the roadside are large and dangerous pits. We sprawl down on our stomachs among the pits to see what we could see. Mary saw first, ah, those bright eyes. My spectacles are rather in the way out of doors, I do find, but if I keep on getting younger, and I certainly am younger since I got acquainted with Mary, I shall be able soon to leave them at home in my study when I go out to see things. Mary then saw first. What she saw were two very small, shining brown, gently curved, sharp-pointed, sickle-like jaws sticking up 
out of the loose sand at the very bottom of one of the pits they moved once these curved and pointed jaws and that movement caught mary's eye it's the dragon of the pit i cried dig him out so mary dug him out he was very spry and had a strong tendency to shuffle backwards down into the hiding sand but it takes a keen dragon to get away from mary and this one wasn't and didn't he was an ugly little brute squat and humpbacked with sand sticking to his thinly haired body but he was fierce looking for all his diminutiveness remember again that whether the thing is big or little to you depends on whether you are big or little this dragon of the sand pit was little to us he is terribly big to the ants when mary got him out and had put him down on the sand near the pit he trotted about very actively but always backwards he seemed to have got so used to pulling backwards against the frantic struggles of his prey to get up and out of the pit that he can now only move that way after we watched him a while we collected him that is put him into a bottle with some sand to take home and see if we could keep him in our room of live things and then we turned our attention to another crater it was about three inches across at the top and about two inches deep a symmetrical little broad-mouthed funnel with the loose sand slopes just as steep as they could be the slightest disturbance a touch with a pencil point for example would start little sand avalanches down the slopes anywhere it is of course very easy to see how this horrible pit trap works and in fact in the very next moment we saw actually how it did work a foraging brown ant that was running swiftly over the ground plunged squarely over the verge of the crater before she could stop she certainly tried hard to stop when once over but it was too late slipping and sliding with the rolling sand grains down she went right toward those waiting scimitar-like jaws now these jaws deserve a word of description because horrible as they may seem to the unfortunate ants they are so well arranged for their particular purpose that they must attract our admiration the dragon of the pit ant lion he is usually called has no open yawning mouth behind those projecting jaws as might be expected indeed there is no mouth at all just a throat thirsty for ant blood the slender scimitar jaws have each a groove on the concave inner side and down this groove runs the blood of the struggling victim held impaled on the sharp points of the curving mandibles the two fine grooves lead directly into the throat and thus have no need of open mouth with lips and tongue such as other insects have but see cried mary the ant has stopped sliding it is going to get out ah mary you are not making allowances for all the resources of this dreadful dragon of the pit not only is the pit a nearly perfect trap and the eager jaws at the bottom more deadly than any array of spikes or spears at the bottom of an elephant pit but there is another most effective thing about this fatal dragon's trap and that is this it is not merely a passive trap but an active one already it is in action and mary now sees how hopeless it is with the ant for a shower of sand is being thrown up from the bottom of the pit against the ant and it is again sliding down 
the dragon has a flat broad head and a powerful neck muscles and has wit enough to shovel up and hurl masses of dry sand grains against the victim on the loose slopes and this starts the avalanche again and so down slides the frantic ant what follows is too painful for mary and me to watch and certainly too cruel to describe but one must live and why not ant lions as well as ants if truth must be told many ants have as cruel habits and as bloodthirsty tastes as the ant dragon indeed more cruel and revolting habits for ants have a gastronomic fondness for the babies of other ants which is a fondness quite different from that which they ought to have it means that they like these babies to eat some communities of ants indeed spend most of their time fighting other communities just to rob them of their babies which they carry off to their own nests and use in horrible cannibalistic feasts mary and i had seen enough of the morrowby jukes pits so we went back to our little open sunny spot in the chaparral on the hillside and lay quiet and silent for a long time then mary murmured I wonder how the antlion digs its pit I can tell you Mary I replied for a man who once saw one digging told me it is this way first he makes a circular groove the full circumference of the top of the pit then he burrows into the sand inside of the groove and piles sand grains on top of his flat horny shovel-like head with his forefeet this sand he tosses over the groove so that it will fall outside he works his way all around the groove doing this over and over and then makes another groove inside the first and he digs up and tosses the sand out as before and so on groove after groove each inside the one made before and thus gradually making a conical pit with the sides as steep as the loose sand will lie the pit must always be made in a dry sandy spot and it usually located in a warm sunny place at the foot of a large rock this man said that it is easy to get the ant lions to dig pits in boxes of sand in the house and so we can try with our collected fellow mary was silent some moments and then she said softly but how will he get anything to eat why said i of course we can give him mary looked up at me in a special way she has I go on more slowly, but still without very much hesitation. But of course, uh, we shan't do that, shall we? And Mary said quietly, No, we shan't. We rested our chins on our hands and lay still, looking down over the chaparral covered hillside and far out across the hazy valley. On the distant bay were little white specks, small schooners that carry wood and tan bark and hay from the bay towns to San Francisco, and across the blue bay lifted the bare brown mountains of the coast range, with always that gleaming white spot of the observatory, a tip-top of the highest peak. It was a soft, languid, lazy day, such a peace-giving, relaxing, healing day, and we were so enveloped by it mary and i that we simply lay still and happy with hardly a word i had of course intended to give mary an informing lecture about how the ugly horrid ant lion finally stops preying on ants 
and rolls himself up in a neat little silk and sand ball and changes into a beautiful slender-bodied gauzy-winged creature without any resemblance at all to its earlier incarnation but i didn't it was too fine a day to spoil with informing lectures and so mary and i lay still and happy and finally it was time to go as we went down the road we passed again the place of the pits and mary looked once more at the neat little craters with their patient waiting jaws at the bottom i wonder she said musingly if mr kipling ever saw an ant lion pit i wonder said i End of chapter four